to me, my balloonyacs. Aeronaut Zack here with your friendly neighborhood content warning. That part was Spider-Man, not X-Men, but we're going with it. This is a podcast where we let the internet ask us questions, and that is always a mistake. So, we are sometimes uh, adult-themed adjacent, and we will say all of the naughty words. Now, on with the show. Hi everybody, I'm Tyler. And I'm Zach. We're your aeronauts and we're back with more word balloons. We've been flying high on our own hot air, but have stopped our journey to the Justice League's moon base to answer your nerdy questions. So with that in mind, Zach, what is our question this week? Before we get there, I'm just going to take this moment of silence that I'm not going to be silent during to to appreciate being back in my spot on this (laughs) podcast where all I have to do is know things. Okay, so, our first question of the season. What lesser-known character has had the most oversized influence? This means we're not talking about, like, what influence has Superman had on the world, or Batman, or Sp- where we can point out, like, largest movie in the world, or yada, yada, yada. Who are characters that you might know, or you're less likely to have known, who have had big influences? I've got three, but if you guys have any... I have kind of four, but two of them go together into one That's thing. fine. That's... I guess I'll start with... I, I was having... A, I kind of knew where you were coming at it from, just from... We talked we haven't, a little we bit about, yeah, yeah, we talked a little bit about this, and you haven't said yours yet, but I was like, I, I want to come at this from a little bit different an angle. And so I started thinking about one of the most important comic books that I can think of, because of how big of an event it was and how early it was in events is, of course, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm -hmm. Yet nobody ever fucking talks about Dr. Light or Psycho Pirate. Yeah, outside of comic books and with what we're talking about in the world, Psycho Pirate's insanely important, but I'm not even sure. I think he's a Flash villain originally? Editor and Stowaway Steven here. Um, I was just crawling around in the, the fence underneath the room and I heard you guys talking about this. I don't even know this character you just brought up. The Psycho Pirate wears all black and red, kind of a Harlequin costume. Not like Harley's, but like actual Harlequin. Mm-hmm. And he has a golden mask that he can change the expression on and he will make you feel whatever feeling the mask is portraying. Oh. So, fear. Uh, amusement. Mm-hmm. Uh, anger. Yada, yada, yada. But he was manipulated by, I think, minions of the Anti-Monitor. And at the end of it, he was one of the only people that knew that the Crisis on Infinite Earths happened. Shit. And And he was also, just because of his powers, he was a big part in making the events go the way they did. Mm -hmm. Which we did an entire episode about over on General Nerdery back in the day. Do not try and explain Crisis on Infinite Earths. Just go enjoy that sweet, sweet George Perez art. Mm -hmm. Um... I guess my number two, uh, just because the influence the character has had on a number of big name creators, I would say uh, the spirit. The spirit's a great one. And he is much better than the god-awful, but I love it, fucking movie, The Spirit, that came Mm -hmm. out around, what, that was like 2010? But the spirit comics were just huge influences on, like, Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, Darwin Cook. Me. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Spirit's one of my favorites. But I think my number one, when I had to really think about it, I'm going to have to go see Auguste Dupin from uh, three Edgar Allan Poe short stories. He was the, the, the... He's the creator of the gentleman detective trope and one of the influences for Sherlock Holmes. I was going to say, he's like the Sherlock Holmes prototype. I've read the first one of those. It's a really good story. I actually really like Murders in Rue Morgue, but it's also bullshit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's interesting because he comes up with the gentleman detective. He doesn't feel a super strong urge to, like, prove 
what Dupont is saying. He's just like, I'm a gentleman. I will solve this mystery for you. Look, I solved this mystery for you. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. But it's Edgar Allan Poe, so it's just wonderful at the same time. While also being kind of crap. And none of the Dupont <laughs> stories you can actually figure out from clues given in the story. No. Uh, it's not really until Arthur Conan Doyle makes Sherlock Holmes and really kind of ties it all in together. And even like then, most early, especially gentleman detective characters, they <coughs> really, really badly relied on not giving you all the details because the writers weren't actually that good. That actually gets lampooned very heavily in the movie uh, Murder by Death. <laughs> Doyle's decent, but a little all over the part. Uh, Agatha Christie's fucking great. I will, I will fight someone over Agatha Christie. But that's even she sometimes is like, I don't really feel like answering this. So Poirot will later. <laughs> Stephen, you got anybody? I may have misunderstood the question. Um, in that, like, he answered I, it very differently than I did. Yes, so that's fair. So, like, I took it from a standpoint of like a character who mm-hmm. has had a, a smaller character who has had way larger role in their universe. That's fine too. Um, I mean, this is kind of a broad question. So yeah. So from that standpoint, I I immediately thought of uh, uh, the unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Doreen Green. In that, like, what limited experience I have uh, with reading her. From the same creator of Spider-Man, Steve Ditko was the artist for her. Oh, fantastic. I read the, the newer run that had gone uh, on by... Lisa yeah, by the two webcomic artists. Uh, Kent uh, Archer, right? Or Zach Thomas, I thought. Either uh, way, I, 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 I don't have it on me. I'm I not... would guess you were right on that. Uh, but uh, the newer run, that's uh, with her. And she does wildly fucking just, like, unimaginable things. Just, like, so she much She canonically ease. beats up Thanos in a fist fight. Yeah. And she just, like, and, like, this isn't even a thing in any of her run. It's, like, she never, like, fights anybody a lot. But, like, like mostly she just, like, tricks Craven into being her best friend. And then just, like, goes to the moon and convinces Galactus to not destroy Earth. And, like... By introducing him to nuts. Gets a, uh, I, if I'm remembering correctly, a, a Doom bot. Maybe it's some sort of, like... She does beat up Doctor Doom. I'll tell you oh, about that in just a moment. Yes, um, in a couple, uh, and like beats beats Doombot by like signing code. Like I don't, I haven't read this series much. I just loved does it, but I didn't wildly it. unimaginable things, and that is always delightful to see. And she just like wins the day. What was fun about Squirrel Girl is up until that series, no one really believed that Squirrel Girl was ever going to be a major character. They liked her, she, but she was that fun little, like, background joke character. Yeah, uh, it, there's even an editor being like, they were introducing a bunch of new characters in these annuals, and they're like, we're hoping these are characters that will have staying power. Not like Squirrel Girl. We love her, but she's never... Most of those characters were never seen again. Squirrel Girl <laughs> almost had a TV show. Yeah, like, really close. She did show up in some of the cartoons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love a live-action Squirrel Girl. That would be so fucking amazing. Uh, but Dan Slott had a, a comic where she beats up Thanos off panel and Uatu the Watcher shows up to confirm that Doreen Green just beat up Thanos. This is not a fake Thanos. This is not an alternate universe. This is canon. <laughs> and like that right there is why I fucking love Doreen Green and that just like she had her best friend's a fucking squirrel. She also beats up Iron Man in her first appearance. Or and beats then, Iron man, man. How sad would it be if her best friend was a talking mongoose? And then but like also like be nice to Jeff. <laughs> and then just like befriends everybody she beats up in the same fucking like within like two beats because like 
multiple points during this run, she just, like, goes to Iron Man or just texts Tony Stark. She's like, <laughs> hey, what's up? I have a question. Or, like, hey, I need you to be my mentor in this situation. Hey, I gotta go to the moon, so I need to borrow a, a fucking Iron Man suit real quick. When she was briefly a member of the New Avengers, it was amazing. Because no one else could, like, figure out whether to take her seriously or not. Oh, don't take her seriously, but just, like, trust her. Uh-huh. It is creepily implied at one point that she dated Wolverine, which the age gap makes that super fucked up. But, but also, uh, I'm, that's, I'm not saying that I like the age gap, but I'm going to say Wolverine ha- is going to have to shoot dating anybody as at a certain point, unless he can find someone older than him. Uh, it's kind of a weird thing, because for a while she was kind of getting aged up a little bit, like a lot of other heroes from that age, but now she's back to, like, I'm just starting college, you know? Which, like, yes. Who? Like, it doesn't go against anything else, but that does make that, like, throwaway joke that Ben just put into an Avengers story super fucking creepy. Mm. Yeah, so, like, it, from that standpoint, I'm not... I'm not down for that as long as they have, like, some sort of understanding of, like, power dynamics between them in that relationship and it doesn't seem like a fucking weird, creepy thing, then I'm okay with it. They've just carefully never mentioned it again. Good. Okay. Good. Um... (laughs) Like I don't, I don't mind them dating. I just don't want them to be, you know, doing anything. My last thing on Squirrel Girl, she is responsible for possibly the greatest panel in the history of comic books where she unleashes all the squirrels on Doctor Doom, and it's just a, a panel of Doom tearing squirrels <laughs> off of his armor and throwing them, going, confound these rodents. For everyone I get rid of, another two vets me. <laughs> like, oh my god, Doom. That's amazing. Okay, so yeah, I, have three, I have three, and I went in a different directions. The first one, I can't 100% confirm, so it's kind of an honorary thing. But it's Bizarro. Okay. Because I was listening to another podcast, and a woman mentions going into a kind of Bizarro world as, like, a, like things got really weird. And I went, this has nothing to do with... This is... It was a crime podcast. Not at all related. So I looked up the origin of the word Bizarro as much as I could. And I mostly just found the comic character who first appeared in 1958. The only older version I could find was a novel written in, like, the 1830s that wasn't published till the 21st century and was about a dude smothering his child to death. So it had, like, nothing to do with when we talk about, like, that's a bizarro so-and-so. Or, like, oh, this is bizarro. We mm-hmm. entered bizarro world. Things got kind of weird. It's not a super well-known phrase, but it, like, it came up in Friends and there was an entire Seinfeld episode about it. Mm. It kind of became the, like, weird ultra, like weird opposite land. That comes from Bizarro, who is the weird clone of Superman who talks all in negatives. That's wild. Just occurred to me. Like, was not on my list until I listened to that and went, hey. Two is Kato and the Green Hornet. Okay, yeah, yeah. In a couple of different ways. But one, all the Blue Beetle characters who are getting, like, a TV show or a movie or something at theory at some point would not exist without Green Hornet because literally the creator of Blue Beetle created him because he went, Green Hornet's popular. How do I make something like that but slightly different? Blue Beetle. (laughs) (laughs) But beyond that, Green Hornet was where American audience learned who Bruce Lee was. Thanks in at least part to Lee Van Cleef, who was the uh, guy who played the Green Hornet, who went, we need to... Lee Van Cleef was not the Green Hornet. Oh, who was... Lee Van Cleef is Angel Eyes in The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Who am I thinking of? Uh, I believe Green... I'm going to look it up to be sure, but I want to say that the Green Hornet was Van Johnson. I can see how I got it wrong, but thank you for correcting me. But this guy was like... No, Kato's here constantly. You need to pay him, like, the same amount as me, and you need to give him equal billing, which is amazing for... Van Williams. Van Williams, thank you. It was amazing for a white guy to stand up for an Asian man in 60s television 
behind the scenes stuff like that. That's awesome. But it got thinking about this. Bruce Lee or Bruce Lee became a household name thanks to this. To the point he was so popular that in I think China they renamed Green Hornet the Kato Show. Hmm. Which is fair. Without Green Hornet, would Bruce Lee have become a household name? Would and Bruce Lee was not like the only reason that the uh Asian martial arts movie fad hit America, but if he was a significant part of it, would that have hit in the same way? Without Green Hornet, without Bruce Lee getting big, would we have got The Crow? Because Bruce Lee's son, would he right. have been able to get into acting without being able to be like, my dad was Bruce Lee? Because let's be honest, we like to like remember Brandon Lee fondly, but he was okay at best. Yeah, he was also in a really bad movie with Dolph Lundgren. I can't remember. He was in a lot of really bad movies. (laughs) But my final one is Lee Falk's The Phantom. In a lot of ways. He was the first character to ever, you know, like when Batman has his mask on and Mm -hmm. he doesn't have the, uh, the eyes are all blank. He was the first character to ever do that, the Phantom, because Lee Falk talked about looking at Greek busts and he's like, they didn't have uh, pupils. There was no pupil. There was just blank eyes and it makes them look majestic. In actuality, they were painted, but we just didn't realize that till we studied it years later with mm-hmm. advanced technology. But then beyond that, two of these stories I can't confirm. I, I read them in a, like a prologue to a Phantom comic years ago. But one, uh, I think it was Norway that was one of the Scandinavian countries where the Phantom is super popular, was taken over by the Germans in World War II. Uh, and then the Germans were like, you need to stop rebelling against us. The Allies have lost. We've won the war. We control the whole world. Please stop your rebellion. But as things were being snuck into the country, among those were Phantom comic books, where the Phantom was, one, still being made by Americans, and two, fighting the Nazis. And they were like, how? How did you conquer the world and still allow this to be made? You were clearly lying to us. The Phantom is telling us this. And it was a major, like... If you if you conquer the world, this doesn't exist. So you're mm-hmm. clearly lying. He got a fucking, like, parade after the war when he went to uh, that country. Because wow. they were like, you're a war hero. And he's like, I'm what? <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that. Um, That's awesome. When they got... When uh, the Phantom and his main love interest got married, Parliament in um, Britain took the day off to jokingly debate about what's going to happen next. But the final part of this, the one that really does it, there's cults around him, kind of. Hmm. Do you know what a cargo cult is? Yes. So just for real quick, in World War II, we would airdrop supplies to different islands. Natives on some of those islands would find those supplies and be like, the gods are fucking giving us stuff. Oh, shit. And so you can find... Cargo cults and cult imagery of World War II airplanes because they were, you know, like, give us more stuff. This is awesome. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, the kids outside the Thunderdome is a great example of a cargo cult. But among other things in uh, in these cargo drops, it was mostly food. There were some other supplies, but there would also be entertainment, including phantom comic books. So, there are examples of war shields with the Phantom painted on it because he is a powerful (laughs) warrior. Yes. He's inspired cults. He inspired fighting the Nazis. Also, honorable mention to Captain America. He's too well known to count, but he did help bring us into World War II. America was not sure about it, and Jack Kirby's like, I'm going to have him punch Hitler in the goddamn face. Just if we're not fucking clear, (laughs) you should be punching Nazis in the fucking face. Uh, But yeah, I think the Phantom has had the, like, largest oversized influence. But in-universe, I think you're right with Squirrel Girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely did not understand that question. That's fine. I liked, actually, I really liked your answer to it, so. 
Uh, in order to keep our journey going, we're going to have to drop some ballast. Luckily, Zach is stuffed to the brim with assorted genre facts. I'll prod him a bit and see what shakes loose. Remember, any misses or mistakes will have to be made up for at the end of our trip. So today, we'll keep our, th- our expedition's theme of gadgets, gizmos, doodads, and ding-dongs. <laughs> so, Zach, what knowledge can you drop on the hawk harness? Huh, okay. H-A-W-K harness. So, real quick, before we do this, I have in my pocket a list of ten tchotchkes, magical items, yada yada yada, that I thought were going to appear on this. And I'm going to give it to you at the end of this series so we can see mm. any of them that cross over. But, like, I'm not going to show them to you before, so you're not like, and crossing off that guy. <laughs> the Hawk Harness. Is it Hawkman? No. And I got fucking nothing. Wait, yeah, Flash was- Gordon. I got fucking nothing. I was fully guessing Hawkman, like, and what is it, Nth Metal related. See, that would have made sense with that, but... Um, yeah, no clue. Okay. Yes. God, I'm not starting on a great note here. Got that one down. (laughs) Getting back on course. This season's really interesting because it's either going to be very easy for some of them, or just like... But no, of course I don't know what that is. Look, I'm going to guarantee you know, like, at least two of them. I just want to know how much you're going to spout at me, so. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, also, when I was coming over with my list, I'm like, man, I'm just a big Jack Kirby fan based off this. <laughs> Though I feel like he likes a, he likes a, like, a magical MacGuffin. Jack Kirby was very good at the, like, here's the thing. But yeah. He likes that's... a thing that is powerful. Here's a thing. Yeah. Well, that's it for today, folks. We're taking off. Before we go, we'd like to remind you to hit subscribe and check out all of our other sister shows at yourverm.com. That is E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Other ways to get in touch with and follow us will be in the show notes. As always, we want to give a special thanks to our editor, Stephen Gady, and Ian Ford for our theme song tracks. Until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Up, up, and away. <laughs>